All right, so um, we're not going to deal with the text yet. We're going we're to be a lot more text-heavy in the, in the third one. I want to continue here. Let me do just a little bit of review because I think it will help if you've not heard some of this before, not studied it before. I'd, I'd really love to see the repetition kind of aid you in, in the learning here. So when we call something an addiction, it is because the brain has rewired itself. And, and it was helpful for me as a pastor to realize that that part of what I was dealing with sometimes with people and even some of the just looking at things in my own life like trying to affect habits and change habits that not just in these areas but a lot of areas that I really believe that God allows that process to happen and it makes us more dependent upon him in the end because we realize man it's really why does this entrench us so much and it's again because we're reaping what we're sowing but again the brain of an addicted Individual looks basically the same, whether it's pornography, whether it's video games, whether it's cocaine. And again, that wouldn't be true necessarily of every drug addiction, but particularly cocaine and meth uh, are two of the dopamine-producing ones. And some of the others have some similar effect, but there's enough differences that we won't classify them here. But again, you've got to realize, men, Satan doesn't care what the, what the particular is. If he can bring about these changes in your brain, it can affect your whole spiritual life, it can affect your marriage, it can affect a lot of things. And so it's because of this, in part because of this chemical called dopamine, and it's a motivator to do things that need to be done. But we are very good at taking God's gifts and turning them into idols. And things that he meant to be our servants, we turn them into masters. And certainly sexuality can, be, can become a master instead of a servant. And because of the way God designed us, it's not difficult for that process to start. And so we talk about this, uh, the novelty and the Coolidge effect that new things can produce dopamine. They provide a stimulation and so we are attracted to new things. And, and it's, it's so important to realize that right things are always new at some point. They're, they're new at some point in time, but even right things don't stay new. And so we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to become addicted to the aspect of novelty because then we always need new things. And when right is no longer new, when right becomes routine, then we get bored with it. And we don't have any interest and, and we don't want to do that anymore. And again, this, this effect, this Coolidge effect, it drives debt. It drives, it drives it's part of what drives the, the dating scene in part. I'm not making a statement about, about all, the, all the, the particulars that go into that, but a lot of what occurs in dating is even this idea of, of this, the newness or a, a lot of men, men, some of you sitting there in, you know, in a good, tremendous local church, you can get bored with your job, and the next thing, you got this job offer over here, and just because it's new, not because it's right, not because God's in it, but I'm so bored with where I'm at, and I'm bored of this church, and I'm bored with this job. Well, go tell that to farmers that spent 50 years farming for their life, and very honorable men, and just had to do the same thing every day. I'm telling you, there's a depth in, in a, for, for me, 30, almost 30 years of marriage now, and I'm telling you, there's a depth in every aspect of marriage that I didn't have when it was 15 years. I'm so glad. I didn't have to have new when it came to a wife and got to have a new feeling here and there. I'm telling you, there's a depth, whether it's going to church, whether it's marriage, you encounter some satisfaction and fulfillment that if you'll get over the hump of your so-called boredom, 
you'll find, man, God's so good. And right becomes incredible when you stay with it. Just don't short-circuit the process, and we're tempted to because of this, this novelty and this addiction to novelty and the Coolidge effect. And the problem is the Internet is perfectly designed to feed this desire for novelty. Oh, my goodness, it, it's, it's all over the charts. The difference, the, the game changer that the Internet itself is. I know that it has so many good things, and we use it for a lot of things. I'm telling you, you know, let's say that there was a terrorist attack on the Internet. Do you realize how much of our lives would be affected now in such a short period of time? And again, this isn't a message against the Internet. It's just saying, let's be wise and, and realize the difference that it makes. Because when you combine the Internet with a, a natural attraction to sexuality or even some of the other areas, it becomes dangerous. Now, I want to show you something that I think will help you to realize why the Internet is a game changer in pornography. And, man, if we can go to the chart, and I'll, I'll, deal, I'll deal with that one. Let me, is the clicker still, they may have it. That's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, I, think, I think maybe they have it there. So let me just uh, point out. I don't know if you can read all of this. Maybe you can't. Let me just go down. Then I know you might seem a little bit, a little bit bored with this part just because it's, it's text heavy and didn't have all the graphics in it. But I want you to notice this first column is the characteristic of pornography that we'll be talking about. And the, the second column is what it was like pre-internet. And the third column is what it is with the internet. So the cost of pornography... Before the internet, there, there was a cost involved. You basically had to pay something for a magazine. You had to pay something to get a channel. You had to pay something to get into a place if you're going to get involved in pornography. On the internet, it is absolutely free, and so that obstacle is taken out because it's so much easier. The age limits. Before, because of the way that, that it took to get to pornography, basically they could impose an age limit and there shouldn't be any age limit on pornography. I mean, it ought to be, you know, while you're alive, you shouldn't be into it. But the fact is, if you were over, you had to be over 18 to have access to a lot. You had to be over 18 to be able to buy a magazine, to be able to get into a place. Now, it, there's no age limit. I mean, a kid that has access to the Internet on his, on his smartphone, and dad's got to help you if your kids have a smartphone and you don't have some, some real, real locks on there because there's so many ways to get access to it, but there's no age limit now. And kids at, at 8, 9, and 10 years old are seeing things that their grandparents never saw and their brains aren't designed to handle it. The ease of access. Before, you had to travel to a place or you had to, you had to put in extra time or, or you had to go into an adult section and you had to, you had to get past some of um, what, what the, uh, the stigma that would come along with going into an adult section. And now, there is, there's complete ease of access. 24-7 takes seconds to get into pornography. That obstacle's removed. The social norms... For the longest time, it, it, you'd be an outcast. I mean, you didn't say it publicly. You didn't, you didn't say, hey, I went to the adult bookstore and I bought some adult magazines and I bought some pornography and looked at it. You didn't do that. You were an outcast. And now there are college courses that explaining why it's okay and how to get into it. And, and men don't, it's really not a stigma anymore talking about it in our culture. The genres of porn, the kinds of pornography it used to be limited. You would, 
You, you would only be able to see certain aspects, but now, whatever the mind can imagine, it probably exists somewhere. And the, the genres, there are no limitations to them anymore. I, I, I've counseled people in our church or people from our community that are visiting, and they tell me some of the stuff that they have found on the internet. It's incredible. I mean, it, it, it's sickening, and maybe some men here that, that know firsthand, boy, you can get into some, some wild, wild things that we, we, we just never maybe even imagined 15 years ago having such easy access to. The variety of actors, the players in pornography, used to be limited to just a few. You had a magazine, and there's, there's only a few, maybe a few women that would be involved in that. And now with every click, I mean, 1.3 billion pages, they say, of pornography, and the variety of those are different women, which enables you to have another, another shot of dopamine with every new actor. The genre's procession. You sit down, and you, you start a, a path of pornography on the Internet in one session, and it used to be, again, because of the, the limitation of a magazine, one magazine might would be given to one type of pornography, and now, basically, it is unlimited in theory. Because you, you, one click, and you can go into a whole different genre of pornography, a whole different kind and, and so if, if, the brain, if, if the brain gets, um, okay, I, I've kind of gotten used to this a little bit, and you think, oh, I, want another, I want another shot of dopamine. You're not saying you want another shot of dopamine. Hopefully you'll be thinking about that from now on. But you're not thinking that. You're just thinking, okay, this is getting kind of boring, and you don't realize what all is happening neurologically or inside, and all it takes is one click, and, man, then you're on a, you're in a whole other place where, where the sky's the limit, and, and then once that gets old, then you can come to another genre, and then novelty procession. You know, it's limited before. It's only, you know, like along with the next one, there's only so many pages in a magazine. The Internet's not like that. Right. A lot, lot more pages than you could cover in, in a week if you went solid. Do you see the difference in why it's more epi- you see the difference the Internet makes? These are significant categories. Searching during a session. How could you search for something that you really liked before? That took a lot of work. Now, as Brother McCracken mentioned, Mr. Google can, can take you to any place you want to go, basically, and, and in order to find something unique or different so that you can get another dopamine rush and a significant one. I mean, how many nanoseconds does it take for Google to find that? Type it in, you'll find it. The violations of expectations. You know, we're born realizing God designed sexuality to be a certain way. And yet there are ways that violates that. And, in, and the, just our expectation of thinking, okay, this is what we expect to see. And that would rarely happen before. When you were looking at a particular kind of magazine or you went to a particular place, you had a pretty good idea of what you could expect. I remember my wife coming into the bedroom one time a while back and, and she homeschools our kids. And they were doing, her and one of the kids were doing some research on a subject on the Internet typed in some particular search term and our daughter Emily had actually gone back upstairs to get a book and Lisa typed in this search term, very innocent search term and and what popped up just violated every expectation that she had in her mind not even looking for it I'm so glad Emily wasn't sitting there, I mean that'd be an image burned into her mind and the violation of expectation and then the last one 
the escalation to shocking procession. I mean, shock is a huge dopamine producer. And you can find plenty of shock if you want to. I'm telling you, the internet is not just a technology. I know there's been some benefit. I know it provides evangelistic opportunities and all of that. But again, I say, I know plenty of wives who'd say, God, I wish the internet had never been invented. You know, thinking, I hate Al Gore. You know, (laughs) for inventing the internet. Be, Be careful. Be careful in thinking it's just a technology. It is just a technology, but Satan is using it to bring a lot of people into bondage. I mean, it drives novelty of any kind. You know, you want to research something. It's fascinating what's going on that, you know, because uh, especially with smartphones, they're able to track now uh, how far you go into an article. And because of they know how many times that you have a thumbed, you know, a screen full, or, or, and they know, you know, if somebody gets to the end of an article and they're finding now that it is a rare percentage of people that ever get to the end of an article. They're reading the title and then they'll read the first paragraph maybe and then the second paragraph, not likely, and very few people get to the end. And so, I mean, it is teaching us to be very shallow in what we do uh, because we have so much. We can go to the next one and we can have a little shot of dopamine. That can happen even with the news. And there are a lot of people that, that know a little bit about a lot of things now. And the problem is that's pretty unbecoming to a Christian who needs some depth of the book. There's a reason we're not as much readers as we used to be. And this novelty is affecting so much of that. There's a reason you have a problem finishing a book. It's difficult. There's a reason you'd rather watch television than read a book. Reason you'd rather watch the movie than read the book. I'm telling you, it is affecting so much of our lives, and that's a whole other series to go into, which we're not going to do that for sake of time. So what addiction does is it floods the brain with dopamine and changes the brain. So we talked about desensitization. Fewer dopamine receptors leads to boredom. And we, we are a people who don't like to be bored, especially with so much stimulation. And one of the reasons that you might have a hard time sitting through a message and, and so many speakers at some of the mega churches are willing to just reduce the amount of time speaking, you don't even call it preaching anymore, and, and just have these uh, almost a sermon vignette that happens at some point in time, it's because people are bored. And these, this, this reduction of dopamine receptors leads to boredom. It leads to irritability. They're finding that unless, if that stimulation is not there, that actually leads people to be irritable because the brain is not getting what it's used to. And so they're bored with regular activities and irritability comes and then there becomes a depressed mood because they've so conditioned to the stimulation that any, it almost seems like regular life becomes depressing. I'm telling you, this is what I'm describing there is a significant area in our culture right now. I'm not trying to play doctor but there's a lot of men that are involved in a lot of drugs. I'm not talking about cocaine. I'm talking about trying to get you out of depression. And I, I'm not saying whether you should or should not be. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying there are plenty of cases where a man simply needs to get off of all the stimulation because his depression is a result of having so much stimulation and so much novelty that he's depressed with regular life. 
And just a little reordering of the habits will do a whole lot more than medicine that you're going to become dependent upon to give you some kind of a high. And some of these medicines, all they're doing is producing some eye of dopamine, and it might be that, that you need to follow, I want to get ahead of myself, the, the counsel of the next session. So there's desensitization to which these receptors are reduced, and it causes so, much, so many issues in our lives. And then sensitization, where it makes you sensitive then to any related area. But there's a third that is vitally, vitally important. And it's a big word as well. Leave it to scientists to come up with this stuff. But hypofrontality. Hypofrontality. Hypo means less, or it means reduced, or it means deficient. And frontality refers to a part of our brain that's called the prefrontal cortex. Now, there's uh, several, several sections of our brain, but I want to highlight two of them. And, and help you understand a little bit in the differences. Man, if you can just go back to the very first, just to the title one, and, um, and that way we'll avoid some of the distractions. Either the next slide or the first slide. Either way. Yeah, thank you very much. And so hypofrontality deals particularly with two parts of our brain. And I know you're thinking, ah, oh, that's going to be a boring part. It won't be if you'll stay with it. It's vitally important to the hope aspect. So there's a part of our brain called the limbic system. And some, some of them call this the primitive brain because in, in evolution, which we don't subscribe to by any means, but the limbic system is a part of our brain that we basically share with animals. That animals have the limbic system. That's why they call it the primitive brain. Evolutionists think that, well, okay, back when, when man wasn't man and he was back there, they had the primitive brain, and as man evolved, and he just developed past that, but he kept the primitive brain. No, God designed it this way, and there's a, a huge reason for the primitive part of our brain, or the limbic system, and the limbic system is the part, again, that, for example, a rat shares, and the reason that they can do experiments on rats and know that it will affect us is because our limbic system is similar to what a rat's limbic system is. So God designed the brain, and he gave animals brains as well, but they don't have everything that the human does. They simply have a subset, and the limbic system is, one of that, is part of that subset. The limbic system is what tells you, go for it. This is what you want. Just go for it, get after it, obtain it at any cost, and, and we need that. It's what helps us to take risks sometimes. I mean, if every time you go out door knocking and you knock on a door and you have some signs that says this, is a, this could be a very scary home. Well, in, in some ways, it's the limbic system that's saying, hey, go for it. There's, there, there's, there might be somebody that needs to be saved or, or, you know, some of you that would jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a, a parachute on your back. There's a, that's the limbic system that is saying, go for it. This would really provide some shots right here. And, and it helps us to overcome uh, or to act in spite of fear sometimes. That's, the, that's uh, called the, the primitive brain. That's the, the limbic system. But then we have what's called the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is almost like the opposite, and this is the most human part of our brain. The prefrontal cortex is telling us, it's the part that says, stop. Think about it. Reason it out. Stop for a moment and don't act just yet. And the dopamine addiction short circuits this process. And what dopamine does is it, it weakens the rational part of our brain, and basically strengthens the primitive brain. 
the, the dopamine does when it makes these changes. Let me explain what's happening in hypofrontality. What takes place is that dopamine, the more that it is created, it is creating it's a little protein called delta Fos B. And excessive amounts of dopamine begin to create excessive amounts of delta Fos B. All right, what does delta Fos B do? One of the downsides of delta Fos B is that it feeds on what's called gray matter and white matter. And the prefrontal cortex is made up and feeds on it. It needs white matter and gray matter to be strong. So the more dopamine that is being produced and sent from one cell to the next, and especially as the brain rewires itself, it's creating this chemical called delta Fos B, and it's almost like the old Pac-Man that's going around looking for things to eat and eating this dots, except what, what the delta Fos B is eating is white matter and gray matter, and so it is weakening the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is where you have impulse control. It's where you assess risk. One of the primary purposes that, that neuroscientists tell us for the prefrontal cortex is determining consequences. And God designed us to be able to look into the future and say, this is where this act might lead. This is the consequence of this action. God designed us to be able to do that, and it's in the prefrontal cortex. The problem is, excessive dopamine creates the protein delta Fos B that begins to, to eat away some of that white matter and gray matter. And it's fascinating what happens in hypofrontality because that's what hypofrontality is. It is the weakening of the prefrontal cortex so that you have a whole lot more go for it, go after it. And that's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And one problem is at the same time, the ability to say, wait, stop think about the consequences is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And we can get so out of balance. And again, man, this isn't just pornography. It, it is an addiction to novelty, period. Whether it's video games or anything else. It's, they, they have found, the, the, the studies are fascinating on the effects of video games on this same process. Now, let me tell you two things about hypofrontality. It's fascinating. This, this, none of this is from Baptist preachers trying to take all and steal all the fun out of your life. It's from neuroscience. It eliminates or weakens certain prior memories. And let me explain four kinds of memories that are weakened in hypofrontality by an excessive amount of dopamine. First, a prior commitment to quit. It's hard to remember the effect of that because that is strengthened in the prefrontal cortex. And yet you might have heard a message last night or a week or two ago and you begged God and you wept. God, this is it. I'm done. I'll never do this again. And God will honor that, but he's still going to work through your body. And you may find that it's going to affect your ability even to respond to preaching. If you let this process take place, 
and you don't become dependent enough upon Christ, and again, in the third session, but if you don't come to a point of realizing, wait a minute, I, I, I have to, I've got to depend on him to help me write this part because you can forget your prior commitment to quit and it just doesn't feel very strong. I, I've been there in a, a message and God dealt so strong in my heart about something and I thought, man, I just, it's a burden lifted. And yet, man, it's almost hard sometimes on Monday or Tuesday to realize did I really feel that strong about it? Sometimes it's because it has to be a pornography addiction, just a, the addiction to the novelty. That's the first kind of memory. The second, again, this is neuroscience, a love for family. That's a memory that, that whenever this dopamine starts coming across, if there's hypofrontality, it has a way to cause somebody to, to not think about their family as much. And how many, how many marriages have been destroyed and how many men maybe in this room are into pornography? And, and when, they're, when they were able to reason it outright, they realized, okay, I can't do this to my wife. Imagine, what if my son walks in the room? What if my son gets on the computer and finds, what if, I, what if my son gets a hold of my phone and sees this? And yet hypofrontality diminishes your passion, your memory to even think about your family at the time. Here's a third memory, knowledge of punishment. To be able to realize, boy, here's, here's the punishment that's going to come. All right, again, th those are not concepts that just float around out there. God gave us that and he designed that into us, but he also designed a process whereby we can weaken that and there's a reason that sometimes a, a drug user, a cocaine user, or a meth user you, you're saying, why don't you realize what is going to happen? And as a pastor I've said that and before I understood some of this I said it so many times, why don't you get it? I said to myself sometimes, man why don't you get it about this issue or, or that? I mean that, this is where it could lead. You say this and it always creates this conflict and, and boy don't say it that way or whatever area of life it may be. Well it's because this cycle has happened so many times that it has built in a little bit of a trench. And the habits of the flesh. And a person loses some of the ability to think through, here's where this is going to lead. You know what the fourth memory is? The fourth memory that goes away or is diminished? Knowledge of what happened last time. I mean, we, we have gone through the consequences of a previous time. And it would be absolutely destructive. And there's a reason that doesn't carry much weight the next time. If you've gone through enough dopamine which has created enough delta fossa B and it's eaten enough white and gray matter, then your prefrontal cortex has diminished and you're having a hard time remembering some of these things. So first, certain prior memories aren't present. Second, here are some of the primary traits of hypofrontality besides that one. First, loss of impulse control. Just having a hard time controlling impulse. It doesn't mean that you can't decide, but you weaken your ability to decide. Second, the inability to see long-range consequences. Your mind just doesn't comprehend as well. Here's what's going to happen. Third, assessing risk. Fourth, loss of insight. Just having a hard time making sense of why, why can't I just keep doing this? And you don't, you don't think it through. You just don't have the insight. Hypofrontality is dangerous. Because we're, I mean, the Word of God is feeding us all of this truth and it's trying to help us see what we need to see so that we can deal with some of these things. And, and yet, 
we bring ourselves to a point where we have a hard time even comprehending what it says and, and God will break through at times and make it clear this is what you need and the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome any amount of hypofrontality but you cannot continue in this cycle because it, you will diminish in the times that, that it says that boy, you know, that God spoke to people and that they refused Him and refused Him and there are times that He would he'd finally quit speaking to them in a sense and, and this is where some of this comes from is that he speaks and he speaks, but if you're going to continue in this, it's not just that, that uh, every time you're making a conscious decision and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to quit, but every time that you make a decision not to be a doer of the word and you just hear it and you continue, then you're going to find there's a cycle that just deepens over and over and over, over and he that digs a pit, a pit will fall into it eventually. Now let me give you some of the ultimate effects from pornography addiction. I'll just throw some of these out to you. Then I'll give you some practical things, and then we're going to take another break and come back for our last session. First is a certain amount of impotence that somebody can be excited by porn, but not by a wife. Another is distress. And again, this is neuroscience. Distress about escalating to more extreme versions of pornography. And especially when we believe the word of God and we espouse the things that we espouse and say that, that we hold to, pornography will lead you down a path and the amount of stress that I have seen in men that are saying, why do I even have any desire for this? I'm this kind of a dad. I know I'm this kind of a husband. And why am I into this kind of stuff? That's what the addiction does. You'll be tremendous stress about what you may find yourself in next time. Another effect is a taste in pornography that don't even match your own, what our culture calls sexual orientation. Again, we've dealt with that in a, in a prior part, but I'm just summarizing some of the, the effects. You can, your pastor can be preaching and, and preaching on the sin of homosexuality and you can be saying amen and you can shout amen and then you can go home and desire it because the escalation, that's what it needs to get to the next level of stimulation. They're finding that it also produces a lot of social anxiety. Men get so used to having stimulation without anybody else around. The mind begins to link the two, being alone, Stimulation. all of a sudden crowds begin to bother them because it doesn't provide the same kind of stimulation. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I read, I remember doing about three or four weeks of study just on that part alone, and I thought, what, an, what a subtle attack against the local church by Satan. What guys do in the privacy of their bedrooms, they don't even realize is affecting their ability to sit in a, a congregation where they can get some of their best help. And yet this whole process neurologically is eating away your desire to be with people. Another is chronic fatigue and lack of motivation. I'm amazed at how many unmotivated, uninitiated men there are these days. One reason that men are becoming passive it's the spirit of our age, but it's not just that, well, it's just the winds of, of, the, of time and it's just what's going on, but this is a primary reason. 
Man, some of you have so much, you have so many areas of your life that demand and require stimulation. You're tired all the time. And the reason is because these regular areas of your life are not stimulating. Not as much as what you're getting somewhere else in some form, whether it's from video games, whether it's from pornography, or, or even some hobbies can get to this point where, where there's so much stimulation. You're just not motivated about the things that matter most. And, and you can be, boy, when, when you have that hobby or when you have that video game, man, you are, you are really tied in and you are engaged. But when you're with your daughter, she's thinking, well, his body's here, but he's not engaged with me. Your son's thinking, where's my dad? Time with your son is, um, that's not like extreme stimulation. And it's not very motivating. It's the reason a lot of guys come home from work and all they can do is sit in front of a television and give their family not much time. Because a television is a great, great stimulation these days. I remember when I was growing up, we had three channels. I didn't even have a television most of the time I was growing up. We had three channels and I was the remote. And then it was a knob, and it made a click when you turned it. And, and now, what do you have, 300, 400 channels, 500 channels? I mean, the, the technology feeds an addiction to novelty. The last one, and this one's serious, is an inability to concentrate and a restlessness, an inability to focus. You know what led to this whole study for me personally? is I saw that in my life. And I, I, don't have, I don't have much to offer. And I'm thankful my father gave me at least a desire to, to study and a desire to at least to understand. And so what little bit of mind I have is about the only asset I've got. And I was losing it. I was losing the ability to concentrate and to focus. And I'm telling you, I, I, I traced it back to just regular use of technology and the constant interruption of of texting and emailing and not being able to sit down for blocks of time and study and concentrate. I think it's affecting a lot of pastors. I'm telling you, it, it's causing us to, where we, we, can't, we can't settle on something and get to a depth of it. And this is one of the reasons, because of a, of a novelty addiction, be careful of letting technology take over so much of your life. You need to realize that Pornography is much more exciting than it is satisfying. And addiction is about wanting it more and liking it less. You'll want more, and what you get more of, you'll like less. Any addiction gets that way. It gets to a point where you don't even, you don't even like it. But it's like, I've got to have this. To, I've got to have this to fulfill something in me, but your soul is not satisfied. And your conscience is, com is completely offended at what takes place. I want to, I want to mention something to, to young men here. Again, this is proven statistics. It is much harder for young men to return from pornography addiction than it is older men. They're, they're finding that the change in the brain is fascinating because an older man has memories from before pornography in which there were satisfying relationships and the brain knows what those were like and it, and it has provided him a foundation. And so a man that's been married for several years and knows what an actual, real, satisfying relationship is, 
that's been embedded in his mind. And Because I'm, I'm going to explain in the third session how you can come back from this. God designed it just that way as well. That there is a return in the ways that that does return back to normal. But for an older man, it happens significantly faster than it does for a young man whose brain does not have a foundation of, of a satisfying relationship yet. And a young man that at puberty begins to get into pornography, and you young men listen to me, college age and high school and younger, you start getting into this. I'm telling you, it's a whole different ballgame than, than you, your dad might even say to you, son, I, I know what it's like. I get into it. Dad, be careful how you say that. Now, be honest. To the extent God will, God will give you wisdom as to how to talk to your own son and you follow that wisdom and direction. I'm just saying be careful because there is a difference with you and him because you have a foundation already built into your brain that it understands and it has a comparison to make and it helps the brain significantly. He doesn't have that. And if you're thinking, well, I'm going to let him experiment a little bit like I did, that's dangerous. It is neurologically not the same. And a young man is going to find it much more difficult because that becomes his baseline for comparison. And the roles are switched. And he's going to find it very difficult to have a satisfying relationship because after a year or two of marriage, there's nothing new to do. And he was, his brain was used to all this over here, constant stimulation. I'm telling you, you want to see some marriage problems coming? We're going to have them because of our young men being brought up on this it takes longer for their brains to rewire and then I want to say to young men as well young men don't think that this gets easier just because you find a wife you're going to say well I'm going to, I'm going to use pornography to get me by until I get a wife do you understand the point I just made that's not going to do for you what you think Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat and he's thumping you like a drum. And he's going to use you. And he's going to abuse you. And you're finally, you're going to see this, this young lady and you'll be begging God for a godly young lady. And on one hand, God might be saying, I can't give you one. Because you're going to mess her up. Because your brain has, you have conditioned your brain and you've rewired your brain where you've got to have this much stimulation and I don't want her just being some stimulating toy for you. You may find God has to give you somebody that's already used up because you've used women so much already. And you, you'll, maybe you, by the grace of God, you get a godly young lady and after a year or two and you've enjoyed all the privileges of marriage, and you're realizing, well, what comes next? My brain demands more. You can go places that you ought not go. And you can make demands of her that ought not ever be made. And then when she says, I, we can't do that. Why do we have to watch that? You'll go find some other place to get it. And after a while, it may not just be on a screen might be elsewhere be careful the more you delve into it you get a numbed pleasure response you get a heightened desire for it and the whole time your brain is rewiring that prefrontal cortex is weakening and weakening and weakening and making it more difficult to come back by the grace of God every man can come back 
and the brain that he designed to operate that way, he also designed whereby his grace and dependence upon him, it can come back. And we'll deal with that in the third session.